Welcome to the season where Max Verstappen beat the ever-loving piss out of everybody. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. I mean, am I wrong here? Like, was there anything of what I just said there inaccurate? Um, we speak only facts on the show, except for when we don't. Yeah, um, this is one of those definite 100% fact-based occasions, so uh, technically speaking, I can only be right on this one. Welcome to episode 411 of Motorsport 101. Uh, thanks for your patience, we did take a week off to rest and recuperate after, god, a, a marathon uh, motorsport season, and just getting over the mediocrity of it all. But... Good news, we can go back and review it now, because this is the first of what you like to call our little postseason special header of content in the run-up to Christmas. And this is the big one, our Formula One 2022 season review. We'll be going up and down the grid, talking about the best and the worst of Formula One as, as uh, time went on throughout the 2022 season. Uh, coming up soon, in fact, next week, will be our Formula One 2022 or Motorsport in 2022 award <coughs> show. The, uh, the sixth M- M101 awards, it is back with a vengeance. I have the nomination sheet in the back ready to go. I can't wait to talk about this on the show itself. It's going to be fun, although we do think the Overtake Award might be a lock. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the most foregone conclusion we've ever had for one of our award shows. Yeah. Also, shout out to Jason um, in the chat. It was that seventh award show? Fun. They've actually lost count. Um, but it's a seventh award show. But uh, yeah, that'll be next week. That'll be fun. And well, we were going to do the Autosport Top 50 again this year, but Autosport have actually taken their sweet time to publish it this year, funnily enough. So uh, yeah, it's not out yet. Well, hopefully it will be out in the next two weeks so we can keep it flowing. Hopefully not. Run. Hopefully it never comes out. I don't want to <laughs> review it. <laughs> No, apparently torturing me is now a yearly tradition on this show. So, uh, you, you know, suck it up, haters. Um, this is what you all wanted. This is what you're going to get. Um, so that will be hopefully in a couple of weeks' time, if Autosport actually released that list in time. It will keep you posted on that one. We'll have to wait and see. As soon as it comes out, we'll record a show. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, all that will be in the run-up to Christmas and the run-up as well towards Formula E's third generation of seasons over in January, if they can get all the cars working by then. We'll have to wait and see. But around the horn as ever on this F1 season review, first up, Mr. RJ O'Connell. And let me be the first to congratulate you, Dre Harrison. Oh, what? Um, on, so before the 2022 F1 season began, we were asked to make – Three sets of predictions, driver's <laughs> champion, constructor's champion, as well as an over and under on how many winner, different winners we'd have this season. Uh, regret to inform you that Ryan R. King, now of Jalopnik.com, uh, blanked on all three of his picks. He was the only <laughs> one on the panel that went with Lewis and Hamilton and Mercedes getting the run back. Did not happen. But Trey, you were the only person of the three of us that picked Red Bull and Matt Verstappen to sweep both the drivers and constructors. You were the only one that had the cynical foresight to predict that there would be less than five and a half winners this season. Thank you. Thank Wait, you. Hang on. Who the hell did I say was constructors then? Red Bull. Every one of us picked Red Bull and Matt Verstappen to win the title, except for Kevin. Okay. Dre was the only one that, that hit the under on the different winners this season. Okay. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you like I, once again, I am back <clears throat> to reclaim my throne as prediction mediocre. 
Um, like it's 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 ahead of a title. I have to work very hard to to earn it year on year, but we and got it. Still, were, it worked out better for all of us in our MotoGP predictions. <laughs> I still haven't gotten over me picking Fabio DG Antonio for Rookie of the Year. Me either. Oh, we all had faith that if Mark Marquez that Mark Marquez was one fully healthy and two with a healthy Mark Marquez, he could carry Honda to new heights. As it turns out, he was extremely far from healthy and still their best rider by an order of magnitude. As you do. More on that on motorsport101.com. Listen, if you're going to predict race winners on Formula One, you always take the under. I don't know what you guys were all thinking. (laughs) It's um... a new set of regulations and we're in a budget (coughs) cap era. I like to be optimistic I about these sorts of things. I, I don't think, and this comes becomes important very, very much later on, I don't think any of us expected one team to run away with things that hard. No, definitely not. I certainly did not think that one guy would win 15 races this season, but uh, we'll get to him later on in the show. Also, Cam Buckley, talk to me, man. How's it going? Uh, do, do I have to use my voice? Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, God, it hurts. Um, hi everyone. Uh, I'm in pain. I've been in pain for the last four days, but I'm here. Uh, you think I would miss the ultimate roast, the Viking funeral of Mattia Bonotto? I will remember you. Hopefully we don't. (laughs) The cynicism has started already and we're like five minutes in. While RJ serenades us, like I said, we are going to get our F1 season review underway just after these quick messages. Places you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101 or on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101 or on Twitter and Motorsport underscore 101. If you follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD at RJ O'Connell and at CBuckley917. You can check out our website, Motorsport101.com, for all of our content, including my blog section, which, uh, hey, if you like F1, uh, you've now got my top 10 drivers of the year pound for pound list. I don't know, that's a new, a new really tradition of mine. Um, both parts of that are up now. And well, you can probably guess who the number one driver was on this one. Um, it's, I'll give you a hint. They drove for Red Bull and there wasn't Sergio. That's right. Nicholas Latifi. Get out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that, that pound for pound top 10 list is out right now. It's a nice little two parter and mention as well. My, my full Moto GP season review is up as well. You can check all that out on the blog section over there. And if you really like <clears> us, <throat> you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport one Oh one. Um, five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes before they come out to the public. And if you back us at the $10 level, you can get uh, access to the supporters club of our Discord, where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. We've got a couple of guys in here, including Jason has mentioned earlier. He's in there right now. Um, so you can just, you can check him out there. Shout out to Dom, our new Patreon backer as well. So thanks for subscribing, buddy. Much appreciated. Um, and backing us on Patreon as everyone supporting us that way. We are very grateful for that. So without further ado, let's get into the 2022 Formula One season review. Okay, because 
every podcast is somebody's first. A quick rundown on the format. We're going to go in reverse Constructors Championship order as we go down and towards the upper part of the grid, if you, if you guys didn't know already. So we'll, we'll start with Williams and then an Alpha Tauri and then work our way up from there. Some, some key stats, some observations, some nuanced takes on everything, some, and all of that will go up and down the grid. We're going to try and go relatively brisk. We're aiming for around an hour and a half. We'll see how we go. Hopefully, uh, we don't waffle on too much because, hey, that's what we do on this show. But we, but we love it, and you love it, so that's why we do it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Williams up first, 10th in the Constructors' Championship, eight points on the year, which, hey, it's an improvement, right? Yeah? Anyway... <sighs> Uh, their two main drivers, we had Alex Albon, 19th <clears> overall, <throat> four points uh, overall, three times in the top 10, made Q2 seven times, made Q3 just the once, his best finish was ninth in Miami, we had Nicholas Latifi, who was 20th overall, made the top 10 once, uh, one Q2 and Q3 appearance, he was ninth <coughs> in Japan, that was his best finish in the year, and we had a stand-in, we had Nick DeFries filling at Monza, had a couple of points because he finished ninth there that day, made Q2 as well. The key head-to-heads, Albon 19-1 to in favour in qualifying over the TV. In races, it was 13-1, to and on laps ahead, Albon won 839-169. to Not nice, uh, to say the least, on that one. I mean, gents, if there's one thing I'd like to open up with is that, well, if you're going to lose George Russell... They did pretty well with Alex Albon, no? He he hey. was he was very very solid this year. I mean, I think Williams has to look at this last year perhaps a little bit mixed where yeah, all new set of regulations and their initial car was not it. Um, no 2014 magic this time, I'm afraid. No. Um but they did sneak a couple early results out of Albon with just the goofiest strategy you've ever seen in uh, <laughs> in uh, Australia. How many laps did he go on that tire? I want to uh, say, I wanna say it was 52. 52, I want to say it was. Just enough. Uh, and once they redesigned that car, um, it got a little better. This, though, felt a lot more like the Williams terrifying to say that they'd be looking back fondly upon this of the early 2010s where I mean they weren't good they were the worst team in the sport but they weren't miles off no they they had their head above water for most of the season which is a whole lot more than we've been able to say about them consistently really since 2017 <clears throat> yeah the, the... I mean, Ajay, what did you make of it first and foremost? No, I mean, with Williams, it's pretty straightforward. They are better than where they were in 2019, 2020, but they are still very much a fallen giant, though not as much as Tommy Tallarico after H-Bomber Guy put out that Roblox oof sound effect video. But that's not <laughs> Um Alex Albon, uh, maybe even better than the numbers prove, because like the only time he finished a race behind Nicholas Latifi when both of them finished was in Spain, where the car where the floor was damaged. Mm. Um <laughs> so Nicholas Latifi mm. just 
It's a good couple of years. Ultimately, not the right driver at the right opportunity at the right time for for the right team. It happens. This is more like the Alex Albon that was sold to Red Bull when they made the switch between Albon and Gasly midseason. It turns out neither of them were the driver for that team at that time. It happens. It does. Um, yeah, I mean, in my top ten list. Albon was literally my number 11. I gave him an honorable mention and I said, look, I very nearly put Albon in my top 10 over Sebastian Vettel. I think it was very close between them. I mean, Albon, like I said, if if you didn't tell by the helmet design, you might still think it was George Russell in that car, which is as kind a compliment as I can pay to Alex Albon all year. He came in and immediately picked up where George left off. And I think that's about as much as you could realistically ask for from, as Cam quite rightly said, definitely the bottom feeders of the grid, but it's not like they were off the pace bad in that sense. They were on pace. They weren't always at the bottom of the field. You know, they had good days. Um, They just need more of them in the ground. I mean, every other team above them, had a, especially the next two teams we'll get into, had a couple of really big days that basically put them out of reach from Williams. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing is with the Williams is that their their big days were ninth. Yeah, um, were, ninth or tenth. Yeah, they were capable of scraping into the points if everything came together, which is more than we've really been able to say about Williams for a hot minute. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, some of the points they scored in 2021 were out of just – raw unfiltered shenanigans the yeah, funniest the funniest podium of 2021 oh yeah uh, russell basically getting a podium off a qualifying lap yes um <laughs> to say nothing of hungary which again shenanigans um how would i break this down for them going into next year you didn't <sighs> If you build on this this B spec car that you brought, mm. cut some weight out of it. You probably have a better second driver next year, which is our next point on there. Mm. If you can scrape into the points more consistently, you might just pick off a Haas or an AlphaTauri in the constructors. There just wasn't enough of it this year. More to that point, it's hard for me to really grade Albon uh, higher than like where you had him in, in your driver rankings mm. because it's hard to grade him against Latifi when Latifi just did not a whole lot this year. No. Uh, his, his best result was Japan. Japan was, again, shenanigans. A shenanigans finish. I mean, they had the nothing to lose, let's get them on into immediately strategy, and that was the right call. Um, And sometimes you get lucky on things like that. It happens. Part of the sport. But, you know, it it would be hard to say that Latifi got that rawly on pace alone. It was a strategic move that worked. And that's how Albon got his points in Australia. That's what you do when you're you're a bottom-level team. You, You find alternate ways, and sometimes they land. That's how it goes. Um, Logan Sargent is still, I mean, as we now call him LS2 because he's taken the uh, LG2 because he's taken the number two for next year. That's going to be his racing number. Uh, so Stoffel season officially is dead. Um, rest in we, peace. We out here on the Motorsport 101 podcast love the LS2. We do. We do. Um, but uh, yeah, 
uh, so yeah, Sergeant. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I just yeah. said if if Sergeant can just take a few off of Albon in terms of head to heads, pole that's uh, fine. Pole positions and race results. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> He's just got to have the kind of rookie year that Joe Guan Yu had this season. We'll get to that in a second. I mean, mm. obviously, for some people, it's a bummer mm. that like the only current F2 driver on the 2020 grid that goes up is not the champion, the second place man, or the third place man. Logan Sargent finished fourth. <coughs> um, I There are concerns that he's a bit of a personality vacuum. He's not the best guy he could have sent up. Maybe he's no better than Nicholas Latifi. I don't know. I'm at least willing to give it a shot because when it comes to international sport, it's the only thing which I have any semblance of American pride. Oh, why didn't we win that game against the Netherlands? I'm just oh. anyway, Logan Sargent. That that dates this podcast a bit. Look, I mean I mean, as far as Sargent, I mean, look, we know what Latifi is at this point. Yeah. We've yeah. known for a hot minute. Sargent's so far has been pretty good he's been we'll a see. Sol- he's a solid prospect he's a if solid he just prospect. goes up to f1 against albon and is pretty good that's fine yeah i mean what fourth in the championship first year in f2 that's pretty good going like that's there's some good names around him in that championship standings and yeah like drogovic been around a little while excellent driver porsche we know how good his upside can be you know, Lawson has been in a whole super range formula of driver, Liam Lawson. Yeah, you know, so th- those that's good company for a rookie. You know, so I think Sergeant will be fine, and I think there should be some upside there. The Tifi was always kind of we were all kind of looking at him like you know the veteran pick to fill the gap <laughs> for something for someone like Sergeant to come along. And yeah, if he just takes a few off, though, like Albon's a really solid driver. If he takes just a few, half a dozen race results or, or, or qualifying performances would be would be a pretty damn good return for his first year in an F1 car. So we'll, we'll see what Logan Sargent can do. The <clears> first <throat> American here on a full-time deal, I want to say since 2010? 2007, Scott Speed. Scott Speed. Remember, Alexander Rossi was a mid-season addition for Manor. Yeah, yeah, yeah part-timer. So, yeah, here's hoping. I mean, any hope, any other hope for this team making big games? I remember when they first came in, they had the heaviest car in the field. I think there were around 810 kgs. They were really heavy. Yeah, I mean, they they had that, and their car. Uh, they were shaving paint off the damn thing about five races in. They were shaving paint off of it. Uh, they had extremely small side pods that were slammed up to the front of the car, which uh, were causing them all kinds of problems. Remember that it becomes important later for another mm-hmm. team. Um, and just in general, they did develop pretty well pretty well when they were developing but they didn't do a whole lot of that across the year because they just don't have the budget um and you need to keep in mind as well for the next couple of years given we are in kind of a flux with engine manufacturers you know dipping their toes in the water to go into the new engine regulations for 26 if you're williams (coughs) you gotta try and get yourself in the shop window you got to do something because this this <coughs> this won't last with Williams. They're much better than this. They have better resources than this. They should be punching you know, above this, as far as I'm concerned. So, we'll I don't have know to- if I'll go that far. 
Uh, but there are opportunities for them that they really need to take advantage of within the next couple of years mm-hmm. if they want to get to anything like their past glory. Agreed. Agreed entirely. Any last points from you, RJ? No, I think I think we hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I think um, there's still very much a waypoint for young drivers instead of a destination. Uh, they have not been <clears throat> really contenders for a long, long time. I would love to see them at least get out of the basement. Agreed. And well, this is a surprise. In ninth, Alpha Tauri, 35 points on the year. Um, oh boy. Uh, Pierre Gasly, 14th in the championship this year, 23 points. Uh, six times in the points, six Q3 appearances, had that pretty damn good fifth place in Baku. Yuki Tsunoda would have been right behind him that day if it wasn't for the rear wing and uh, Dave Batista's duct tape solution. Duct tape? Are you serious? Etc. cetera. <laughs> um, so was 17th overall. He had 12 points, four times in the points, five times in Q3. His best result of the year was seventh at Imola. Uh, head-to-heads, Gasly, 12-9 in qualifying. He was up 8-5, which says a lot. I mean, okay, but for on the record, when it comes to head-to-heads, any race that had a DNF in it, we did not consider as part of the score. So <laughs> the fact that the, the final count was 8-5 to five says a lot about AlphaTauri this year. You could draw your own conclusion off of that. Uh, laps ahead, Gasly, 610-438. to 438. This was a team that should have been pushing for a top-five spot in the championship this year, in my opinion. They had a very solid 2021 Gasly was a driver of the year candidate last year. At times, they had the third best car in the sport. Yeah, they were best of the rest in Zandvoort and by a by a mile as well. And I mean, all this car could really do is go in a straight line. Uh, we'll get to that later because, man, that uh, I can't believe it's not a Honda power unit. Real good. Uh, when it, at least when it was holding together early on in the season, they did have some teething issues. Yeah. Um, the car was slow. The car was inconsistent. The drivers were inconsistent. It was perhaps the first car where we saw this year's porpoising phenomenon, just <laughs> Pierre Gasly headbanging down the main straight in Bahrain. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, there was just not. They were just there. They were the most just there, perhaps, of any team, except for, and I hate to say this because it was looking good early on, except for when Yuki Tsunoda was throwing the car at walls. Yeah. I want to get to that because this was a clear improvement second year for Yuki Tsunoda. Now, there were t- there were funny moments like the controller disconnect at Montreal, but oh, considering, considering the head-to-head qualifying record last year was 19-1 to 1 ahead for Gasly, 12-9 to 9 is a considerable improvement. That is a just... but, but But RJ, the problem is, is that the pace is not the problem with Yuki. Yeah. Um, even last year, his qualifying pace wasn't great. His race pace, when he was keeping it on the road, was damn solid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just... Gasly, I think, I don't know how much of it was the car, because a clear portion of it was. Absolutely. And I don't know how much of it was the drivers, but Gasly really didn't look like he was punching above the car's weight ever, outside of Baku, really. Um, 
I was going to say, the first half of the year it was the power unit. The second half of the year it was the brakes. They had they had fucked up brakes in the second half of the season. Like Mexico and Brazil. How many times did we hear Pierre Gasly complain about the brakes on his car? Half well, a thing, dozen times. Well, the thing is, those are two of, uh, at least I would say one of, because Brazil isn't so bad, but Mexico is probably the most extreme track on the brakes that we go to right alongside Canada. Yeah. Um, but it was just a season of almost inexplicable issues and a lot of wasted opportunities. There was a period where Yuki didn't score. I think it was after Spain for most of the season. Yeah. Uh, he went from Spain. He finished 10th. And then his Nets points finish was the United States. Gasly's racecraft oh, is better. Gasly's racecraft is better. That comes with experience. I think he's going to be happy that he has, you know, moved out that he has somewhere where he has upward mobility. I didn't want him to stay at AlphaTauri. That is a that is a waypoint job and not a destination job, and everybody knows that. And I'm fine with that as a supporter of this team's predecessor predecessor. But I mean, looking at the finishing record, four retirements in the second half for uh, or from Canada onwards for Yuki, and uh, well, other than France, yikes. Yeah, I mean, part of me is glad Gasly is out of there because Gasly is better than this. Um, I I put a lot of this down to the car. We've seen what Gasly can do when the AlphaTauri is competitive. He's earned the benefit of the doubt as far as I'm concerned. And look, we'll find out a lot more about Gasly, <clears> the driver, and how far he's come since his Red Bull era because he's got a tough matchup at Alpine next year alongside Esteban Ocon, who is a damn solid driver in, in every capacity, in every facet. <clears throat> Ocon is very, very solid. So we'll we'll see how Gasly stacks up next year because Alpine's put a lot of faith in Ocon with that three-year extension. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, <clears throat> Sonoda, I look and I go, is this it? Like, is is he's got another year. He's got Nick DeFries alongside, and apparently Nick is already in a hot seat already because I think Dr. Marco is already having buyer's remorse um, on that well, the seat. The thing is, right, Dre? They signed Nick DeVries off of that one, admittedly, exceptional weekend in Italy. Sure. Yeah. But Did we forget what Stoffel Van Dorn did to this man in FE? Pounded this him pet. into the middle of next week. Sometimes and you just nobody, gotta put yourself in the shop window. And nobody was looking to sign Stoffel Van Dorn because Stoffel Van Dorn was already here, and due to circumstances outside of his control, basically got chewed up and spat out of F1 in the space of two years. One and a half if you consider how long his McLaren was actually running. Yeah. Should we also pay should we also uh commiserations to Brendan Hartley, the last guy that AlphaTauri Toro Rosso got that wasn't one of their guys, although he was a Rebel Junior pass, but that was like <clears throat> years and years before. That was the last time this team really gambled on a driver selection. It didn't work out, but it wasn't really all Brendan Hartley's fault. Yes, uh, he had a tough matchup in Pierre, but that was also the first year of Toro Rosso Honda, and they were still having their own teething pains. That was the last time they finished outside the top eight in the Constructors' Championship. And what did they do after that? They rebounded immediately to sixth. Yeah. yeah, this is their worst performance in the World Constructors in uh, four years. And yeah, I mean, they were a little bit unlucky. They were duking it out with Haas all the way to the end. Um, it was what we call on Twitter a mid-off 
um, quite frankly. That's harsh um, on mid. If it is harsh on mid. Um, but <clears throat> th- this team can do better. And look, I, the jury is still out on... Like, this is... Like this is objectively a worse driver lineup next year. Nick the Freeze is probably not going to give you what Pierre Gasly gives you. So, like, they better have a better base to work with next year because if they're still going to be at the back end in terms of reliability and overall pace, the shortcomings of Nick are much more likely to be exposed. Sonoda now has to be your vocal point, at least in the very short term. And if Sonoda takes the net, if he takes another step. Because the worst thing is, in the first half of the year, he looked like he had taken that step. He He was consistently going blow for blow with Gasly and then just fell apart, kind of Canada onwards. Mm. They're both going to have Liam Lawson and Ayumu Uwasa breathing down their necks if any one of them has a terrible season. But what does that matter if their car is garbage again? They need a better tool to work with. Yeah. They do. Because by, by this team standards, this was a very poor car. A poor car. Their drivers didn't punch above their weight. <laughs> There's just not a lot remarkable to take away from Alpha Tauri outside of Baku. Baku, they were exceptional. That was their one big round for the year. And yeah, like they got away with it to a degree. But overall, <laughs> this was a Alpha Tauri that reflected. I think where they're at this season. They, I think they're a little unlucky to finish down in ninth because it was close. It was a bar fight in the lower class this year. But somebody had to lose, and Alvatari was the big loser in that one. I thing. love Formula One's working class. I love this bottom of the table rock fight. It is where I thrive. Now, so I there, think there is a there's an argument you can make that pretty much every team all the way through, like Williams probably didn't leave any points on the table. Mm-hmm. Going up through, like, the next team that didn't leave a lot of points on the table was probably Red Bull. Amazingly. <sighs> Yuki Sonoda, I think one more year. will. will I want to see one more year. I do um, too. I wanted to see one more year out of a driver at Haas F1 team. Uh, a team that I've been thinking a lot about, and I want to try and keep a Haas gla- glass half full perspective on this. Haas. So well, that's to, to make one of us. Yeah, that, yeah, it's one of us has to. Haas F1 team, eighth in the constructors, 37 points on the year. Kevin Magnussen had 25 of those. He was 13th in the championship. Pole position in Sao Paulo. Hooray! We love that. Instantly killed by Daniel Ricciardo in the race. Oh, yeah, six top tens on the year. Nine times he made Q3. Best finish was fifth in Bahrain. The opening round of the year. Remember that one? It was all wholesomeness and vibes. Mick Schumacher was 16th overall. Had 12 points twice. Uh, he made the top 10. Four times he made Q3. Finished sixth in Austria. That was his best result to date in F1. But sadly, he's no longer in F1 anymore. Somehow. Especially when you read this quarter, this head-to-head record. This is, what, this is, what, this is interesting. Qualifying head-to-head. Magnussen won 16-6. In race trim, Schumacher won 11-6. Interesting. On terms of laps ahead, Magnussen narrowly won 5-6-6 to 4-62. Now, how much of that and the standings is Magnussen cashing in early when Haas had a good car to start the year? Basically Uh all of it, because the team didn't score a damn thing. (coughs) Uh, from 
Austria, where they both got in the points, until USA, where Magnuson scraped a ninth place. Yeah. <coughs> like, Haas was a weird one in that they started out with a pretty good baseline card. That was like the early surprise of the year that Haas hit the ground running early on because it was well documented that they had given up developing a lot of their 2020 car, so 2021 car, to get into their 22 car. And it started out great, briefly. He finished fifth in Bahrain. Yeah, you know. Um, started out fifth. They had a couple. I mean, Magnuson had a couple of opportunities to get more points finishes, but he was, shall we say, clumsy on opening laps. Three meatball flags in there as well, by the way. Respect um, the meatball, indeed. And uh, yeah, it's when the rest of the field caught up. Haas were one of the biggest victims across the board. Uh, they struggled. After that, and uh, it, it was it was ungood to say the least. Um, yeah, and it's like Mick finally started showing why he got this gig in F one right when Haas wasn't good enough to score points on a consistent basis anymore. It's really irritating because their tire wear was bad, their race pace and quality pace fell off a cliff in the back half of the year. And their engine power went down because they were on a Ferrari power unit and Ferrari detuned their power units as the year went on. So Remember that. It becomes very important later. Oh, yeah. So it's like you tanked a year and a half for this? Uh, This team does not know what upgrade means. I'm convinced of it. Every time since 2018... Sure. In 2018, they did upgrade the car. Unfortunately, it was illegal, and they got protested and had points taken away. Mm. And twenty from 2019 onwards, every time they have upgraded their car, it has gone backwards. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> they can't develop a car to save their lives. No. They, they had they, no. They have one of the smallest budgets of any team in Formula One, which they're hoping to fix because third time's the charm. They finally signed a title sponsor that Knockwood is actually you know worth their salt. <clears throat> um, with all the numbers that we threw out head to head on Schumacher and Madison, I think the one that really decided this wasn't uh, the balance of points. It wasn't the head to head figures. It was as. German magazine Build reported the reported 3 million euros of damage that Mick Schumacher did to this car. And a lot of it was the qualifying wreck at Jetta that put him out of commission and the one where he split in half in Monaco. Other than that, any incidents he got into weren't really in the race. Well, ask we Nicholas also- Latifi about that one. We can also be adults about and say that Mick Schumacher did take a bit of a step back. Uh, there were opportunities on the table for him did to score Did he take points. a step back, though? I don't think he did. I disagree. Like, I think he, he was just up against an especially poor driver and the driver who was supposed to be alongside him this year and Nikita Mazepin. Uh, rest in piss, Bozo. Um, um, like, <sighs> if nothing else, Magnussen was not removed from Formula One based on his performance on track. Absolutely not. We know that he is a known quantity. He is quality. But it's hard for me to look at Haas and take them seriously 
when it comes to their their justifications. When it feels like in the second half of the year, they were just looking for reasons to justify what was going to be an unpopular decision. Mm. And if you're going to go all in on the quote unquote youth movement in signing Mick and well, can we call it that guy. with Mazepin and the other guy uh, and then immediately bail from it at the first opportunity to sign Nico Hulkenberg. I, I, I'm, I'm questioning your ambition at that point. Um, look, if you, like you like I, I heard Gunther Steiner talk about it on the Beyond the Grid podcast, we have one's official podcast on it, or one of their official podcasts on it. That <coughs> for all intents and purposes, Gunther keeps mentioning experience. He wanted experience in the car, and he wanted experience to front the team. By that own logic, why the fuck did you go all in then on Mick and Mazepin to front your team if you wanted experience all along? Because Mick Schumacher did bring sponsorship with him, and he was also in a Ferrari-affiliated driver at a time that we thought that Mick Schumacher had that Ferrari seat earmarked. Carlos Sainz is just going to be a placeholder. Oh, Carlos Sainz is actually better than people expected. Who would have thought? To a degree, right? But you've got the bird in the hand. Mick is right there, right now, and by all accounts, there was nothing better on the table for him. Especially when Alpine decided to go for Gasly instead after they got embarrassed. I would like to apologize. I would like to apologize for suggesting that him going to Aston was a lateral move at a time where they had just crisscrossed in the Constructors' Championship. My bad. I thought it was more out of sentimental value than anything tangential. It actually probably would have been better for him. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It probably would have been better for him in the grand scheme. Look, Look, I I like Mick Schumacher. I'm sad that this season did not work out. I'm sad that he's not in Formula 1 next year. I'm glad that it looks like he's going to be a Mercedes reserve. (sighs) Maybe in his next destination, he gets it together. Because for whatever reason, in 2022, him and Haas just weren't a good fit for each other. Even though he outperformed his teammate next to him 11-6 to in races. Yeah. He must have been doing something right, but like I, I've mentioned it before on Twitter. At what point does the crash damage matter when you've got the smallest team in F1 in terms of pure resources? At what point does the crash damage matter if there's the potential that you could just give that money that you're losing in crashes back in the World Constructors Championship because you potentially signed somebody who is who we know is older than Mick Schumacher and potentially slower after just doing cups of coffee and relief worth the last three I years. I say they just spent they just spent a year and a half tanking to be exactly who they were when they were in free fall in 2019. And you're bringing in Nico Hulkenberg next. Who, who you could have signed. Who you could have signed. Two years ago. You could have signed him, but you didn't. I do... This is where I will kind of disagree that the season was a total failure because, yes, they're back to where they were three years ago, but they will still happily take that over where they were 2019, 2021. This yeah, is still because, an improvement. Because they were tanking. You you do not tank and then expect to be exactly right above where you were when you're tanking. Cam, was- really, Cam who were they supposed to finish ahead? Who else were they supposed to finish ahead of in the Constructors? Were they not best of the rest for most of 2018? They were best of the rest for most of 2018. Who are they supposed to finish ahead of in this grid? This, this, this is a former top five team, RJ. 
Uh, Aston Martin were a joke to start the year, RJ. They were the laughing stocks of the grid. Alfa Romeo didn't. Alfa Romeo were the worst scoring team after Canada. Alfa Romeo were this year what Haas were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Their ceiling still would have been sixth. They're hell of a lot better. Hell of a lot better than eighth. And we're patting Alfa Romeo on the back for finishing sixth this year. Who were ninth last year? Mm. Say what you will about their game plan, and we'll get to them shortly. It worked. There's no getting around that compared to where they were at. But uh, look, there, there's little to be optimistic about here with Haas. They are small. Their driver lineup is <laughs> fine, if not uninspiring, besides the suck my balls honey jokes regarding the fact that Magnussen and Hulkenberg are now teammates after all of this. Dude, that's just funny. It is just funny. <clears throat> this is a team that, I've got two solid drivers. I, I can, I'm concerned that Hulkenberg's been out of the loop for m- mostly two years. I'm concerned that this isn't going to give Hulkenberg what he wants in the end, which is a formal and podium. At the they, Haas have never scored a podium. If please, please prove let me, me let me let me find the words for this. If AlphaTauri perform anything like what we're used to them performing at. And if Williams take any legitimate step forward, Haas will be the worst team in Formula One again. Yeah. In a sense, they were lucky to get eighth. And a lot of that was because of their hot start. Like, they got a hot start to new regulations in nailing the car and immediately fell back on their face by the fourth round. Yeah. Not ideal, to say the least. Speaking of teams that fell on their face early on, Aston Martin, 7th overall, 55 points on the year. They lost out on 6th on tiebreaker. We'll get to that in a minute. Sebastian Vettel was 12th overall off his 20 starts, had 37 points, 10 times into the top 10, 5 times he made Q3. Best finish of the year was 6th in Baku. Lance Stroll was 15th overall. He had 18 points, eight times in the points, three times he made Q3. His best finish of the year was sixth in Singapore. We had Hulkenberg fit in for the first two rounds of the year due to Sebastian Vettel contracting COVID. He was 22nd. He didn't score. He had 12th in Jeddah, which, to be fair, wasn't a bad effort, given how bad the Aston Martin was to start the year. Maybe there is some hope in Hulkenberg yet. Um, Head-to-heads. 12-7 12-7 Vettel in qualifying, 9-8 in races head-to-head. Vettel much ahead on laps led, 587-473. Uh, to 473. Well, I mean, it was a tale of two Aston Martins, really. I mean, there was the car before Catalonia, and it was the car after Catalonia. That's how I kind of feel about the year. Once, uh, that's accurate. Once the green ball kicked in, once I think it was um, what was it? Dan Watkins started working for him in the in the aero department, and they Dan, uh, uh, Dan Fallows. He, Dan Fallows, uh, yeah, that's the one. You know, it was very funny seeing that car unveiled in Spain because uh, everyone was laughing, even Red Bull, who felt <laughs> legally wronged by this to the yeah. point where they did an internal investigation. Even they had a sense of humor about it, sipping cans of uh. Green, 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 Red Bull, green Red Bull. That was hilarious. That that, that was funny. But I think we all have to come around and say, "Good effort, Sebastian." Good effort. We talked. We we talked about his legacy as we talked about his legacy as a whole uh, on the last episode of the podcast. Just within the confines of this year, 
Sebastian Vettel went out on a heater. He was strong, particularly towards the second half of the season. Uh, had some stirring, stirring drives. Play. I, I was, I'm so glad I was there for, for Coda. Really that was, was awesome. Suzuka before then. Baku. I mean, goes I out the people's it. champion. Yeah, I mean, sixth place and back could have been more without the uh, the escape down the road. He just mm. loves um, street circuits, man. Street circuit god Sebastian Vettel, and honestly, when Stroll was driving with his head screwed on straight, he put in a few really solid performances as well. Oh, Unfortunately, yeah. he had far too many moments where it looked like he was just a public lobby scrub trying to drive into people. I've said it before. <sighs> this is year six. The end of year six for Lance Stroll. He's had 120 starts in F1 now. Is this just who he is now? No, because he got worse this year. I genuinely think he regressed this these last I, two I, years. I, 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 he was better last year, in my opinion. He was better last year. He was a damn sight better in 2020. Now, granted, better equipment to work with. But just the racecraft in general, he drove like a dickhead on way too many occasions this year. On one occasion, nearly sent Fernando Alonso careening into a fucking catch fence. He, uh, he he got done for weaving in Australia. He got done for dangerous driving in Brazil. He chop-blocked Vettel on the final corner of the race in France. And then Cota was the big one, which somehow he only got a free-place grid penalty for because Fernando Alonso, his future teammate, feigned innocence <sighs> on his behalf. Can I just say, as the Fernando Alonso guy of the podcast, uh, and I will say this once again for the record, it's going to be so funny in that in that paddock net season. Oh, it's going to be hilarious. Those two are not going to get along. The political wrangling between Fernando Alonso, the most <coughs> me first driver in the paddock, and Lawrence Stroll, whose son is on the team and has a permanent job there, so long as he wants it. Oh, that's going to be delicious. Oh God, help us all! Like I'm, go I'm a big Lance Stroll guy, but. I don't know. I think I'm I've I've been ready to throw in the towel on him being the next Canadian world champion. Yeah, we're we're very far apart on this. But yeah, I mean the initial <laughs> Aston Martin was just Cheeks. <laughs> That's harsh on Cheeks. It was complete garbage. I uh, actually points. did 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 score, did scrape a few points early on. And then kind of the transition period with the all new, I can't believe it's not a Red Bull. But they really did from from about Hungary onwards. They really picked up the pace, and uh, that brings me to my next, my, perhaps my biggest overarching problem with this team. Operationally, this team was second only to Ferrari in just idiotic strategies, bad pit stops, and general. How the hell are you a Formula One team? Moments just sloppy. They just, left, I, I'd say they left at least, like, another 20 points on the table. That's fair. Of just doing dumb shit. That's they really fair. did. Yeah. Like, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I couldn't agree more with Cam. Organization-wise, they were sloppy across the board. Like, Cota, the 15-second stop that denied Vettel what could have been a top-five finish. Um, that would have been pretty sweet, you know. Reliability wasn't great on many occasions. Strategy, even his final race in Abu Dhabi, he was running with the Alpines on pace alone, and then was sent to the back on a one-stopper that the car was not capable of doing. 
Like, it's, it was just baffling. Vettel still got it in the points. <clears throat> he still finished, I think it was ninth on the day. Yeah, um, scra- scraped it in on 10th. 10th, uh, Like, and that plus a bad pit stop. I mean, they should have, on, on pace, they should have snuck sixth. Yeah. They had they left more than enough on the table to be the best working class team out here, which look, Aston Martin in general shouldn't be the best of the midfield. Like they need to be in that tier with McLaren and Alpine, given the amount of resources and the amount of money they've thrown at this rebuild. Given they tanked last year, given that this whole team was built around going all in for the new regulations, you think if this year had had gone better, Vettel would be retiring because I don't think he would be. No, but the the lead time to get this team to where they should be, given all of the all of the resources and all of the ability they have lined up, is ju- it's just taking too long. They the rose from Titanic. They're 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 wealthy, but they don't want to be wealthy. They want to be poor, but without all the problems of being poor. They just want to fuck DiCaprio before, before you know before before they turn twenty six. It's 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 one of those things. Um, <laughs> I can't on, believe I. We're moving on quickly before we realize that it never should have come down to Alonso's appeal at Coda to decide sits in the World Constructors Championship oh as we get swiftly to Alfa Romeo. Yeah, Alfa Romeo. Mm. Who also had fifty-five points, but they finished fifth. I'll get to the re- sixth, I should say. I'll get to the reason why in a minute. They were they were ahead on tiebreaker. Uh, Valtteri Bottas was actually cracked the top ten with forty-nine points on the season, nine times in the points, eight times he made Q three <coughs> fifth. His best finish of the year was in Imola. You remember that he was gunning down George Russell for fourth that day. Uh, flashbacks Funny. of the previous year, but in, in reverse. That was the result that got Alfa Romeo the 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 constructors finish over Aston in sixth place because that fifth place broke the tie of the six places that Aston Martin had behind them. Uh, Joe Guanyu was 18th on the board this year, six points, just three times in the points in total. Twice he made Q3, the one fastest lap. When was that? Oh, Joe, Japan. Japan. That was oh, in Japan. Yes. Japan. Didn't realize that. Oh yeah, and he yeah he was eighth in Canada. Which becomes significant because, as I mentioned earlier, Alfa Romeo only scored four points on the year after that Canadian Grand Prix. Um, Head to heads, Bottas 14 8 in qualifying, 10 3 in races head to head. Laps ahead, 744 to 195 in Bottas's favor. That's a pretty heavy drubbing. That's terrifying Uh, when you consider all of the engine, like the the dozen engine penalties that it felt like Bottas took. Mm. Valtteri still pretty damn good at this, I think. Yeah, I think this. I think would you say it was a ten out of ten season for a top ten result in an Alpha and an Alpha Romeo? If we were looking at everything Canada and before, yeah, I'd sure. give him the ten out of ten. <coughs> uh, look, Alpha Romeo again, kind of a tale of two seasons. Now, much was made this year about the weight limit being much higher on these cars as they are much heavier. They were the only team who was on the weight limit to start the year. Yep. And uh, weight is the enemy in Formula One, as we all know, and they made damn good use of it. At least one of them did. They were damn fast. They brought a couple solid early arrow upgrades. And that's as good as it got. 
because once other teams started taking weight out of the cars, they dropped like a fucking rock. Quite possibly the worst developing team in the sport this year. Um, they went from Bottas regularly challenging for top six finishes to barely being able to score points in the space of half a season. They went from best of the rest to arguably, like, some races they were legitimately down with Williams and Haas. Yeah. Not ideal. Um, now, a part of that is also because Alfa Romeo <clears throat> haven't got a ton of resources at the moment. Vederick Vass Not said, yet, they don't. No, they said next year they will be able to spend the full capacity of the cost cap, which is good. So hopefully... Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, maybe something to do with um, the fact that they are now owned by Audi. Just just mm. throwing that out there. Um, it, it, I'm speculating. I'm spitballing here, but, you know... It, it does it, help. It helps. Um, but you factor all that in. Like... Look, the game plan worked. Alfa Romeo were a bottom feeder team the last couple of the years. Their early gamble on having a light car worked. They got, I mean, Bottas had 49 points on the year. That alone would have comfortably put them seventh in the constructors, which is a significant improvement on where they were the last couple of seasons. It worked. It's hard not <laughs> to argue that it didn't work. However, it's a little bit fool's gold given out a second half of their season went. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how this team holds up to start 2023. They got a late upgrade that just allowed them to to keep their head above water and keep themselves just ahead of Aston Martin when they needed it the most. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what also didn't really help their case was that in having that Ferrari power unit, it was fast as hell to start the year. But there were a couple of opportunities that that engine just exploded right when they were in the middle of. I went and counted all of Alfa Romeo's retirements. Uh, Botas and Joe combined for 12, including classified retirements. Eight of them were mechanical. Yeah. Yikes. On to Jason, baby. Unfortunately, they were one of the biggest victims of Ferrari's poor un an unreliable power unit where to compensate for that they detuned the power unit in the second half of the year and that lost alpha even more speed and they were one of the biggest victims of that so a lot went against alpha that wasn't even necessarily on them and look joe guan yu is a rookie he's fine I need to see more next year, personally, yeah, from him. That was, that was personal. That was my take. He largely kept himself out of trouble. The The worst thing that you could say out of his performance was the Silverstone Weck, which wasn't his fault. Yeah. Yeah, he, which it, it, he, like, that was just a, to, to borrow a term from NASCAR, just one of those racing deals. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you look early on in the season, I think it was three, three power unit-related retirements uh, for Joe. In uh, Miami, Spain, and uh, Azerbaijan. Baku. Yeah. And France, too. Yeah. And France. So, you know, there were more opportunities for points on the table for him, certainly in Baku. And the car just kept letting him down. And then by the time they kind of got the reliability together, the car was just not fast enough for them to really do much with. I'm of the same opinion as all. I think <clears throat> Joe did well enough to not embarrass himself as the only rookie in the season. Uh, he did great. 
Hmm. He was he had Botas to work with. That's all well and good. I need to see a little bit more of it because I know that there are interested suitors in that second Alfa Romeo, Sauber, Audi, whatever the seat's going to be come 2024. Mm, mm. It's going to be an interesting team to keep an eye on going forward. Let's get into McLaren and the what we call the upper middle class, the guys that can, you know, the guys that aren't on food stamps. McLaren were fifth overall. Oh, we'll take a big leap up in points. 159 for McLaren this year. Lando Norris had 122 of them. Um, 17 finishes in the points. 16 times he made Q3. Two fastest <laughs> laps on the year. And he was the only podium scorer outside of the, the well-appendaged half dozen um, with the third place. For, it's, it's, it's a slang we're name. We're coming up with ever more inventive ways to describe them, aren't we? Indeed. Um, and yeah, the only guy to score a podium that wasn't a part of the Big Dig Six. Um, Daniel Ricciardo was 11th. He had 37 points. He beat Sebastian Vellano Countback. Uh, seven top tens. Six times he made Q3. His best finish of the year was fifth in Singapore. Qualifying head-to-head, the most lopsided margin on the board, 20-2 <coughs> to two in favor of Lando Norris. Yikes. Race trim, 14-4 in Norris's favor. And in laps ahead, 909 for Lando to 268 for Daniel Ricciardo. There's no getting around it. Lando Norris is now, at worst, the premium midfielder in F1. Dude just ended Daniel Ricardo's career. Yeah. TKO. Now at least. He is not getting back up for it for at least another year. When you, le- when you leave Red Bull. When you leave Red Bull because you don't want to be Max's second driver, so you come back as his third driver. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. Rando I performed mean- as advertised this season, even as McLaren took a step back. I mean, they were very funny in Bahrain. There were races where McLaren looked like the best of the rest, and there were races where they looked like lower midfielders. And McLaren were just, you know, that thing where they were talking about, you know, making the next step forward because new regulations. Their initial car was cheeks. Like they got, they got it, they got it together towards the end. Not enough to get past Alpine. Lando Norris is not the problem here. Uh, he drove within the car's limits, right to the limit, and was consistently the top performer of the team. And I think if they had a driver who was performing better in the second car, I think they'd get past Alpine. That that was the big problem this year. They just Daniel Ricciardo, for whatever reason, him and this team, just like Mick and Haas, for some reason they weren't it, but at a much stronger degree. I mean, you could say the same thing about Alpine and the fact that their power unit yeah. was also a hand grenade. Um, mm. It's hard for me to grade either driver here, knowing that Lando was basically what we expected of him, given what we've seen out of him in the last two years. Yeah. And Daniel Ricciardo was so much worse. He was actively much worse than he was the pre- in 2021. At least in 21, he was every now and again keeping Norris in his sights. The only time he didn't look just completely lost at sea with that car was Mexico. 
And while he did get a good result out of it, he also did a half-hearted uh, overtake event and ended Yuki Tsunoda's day. Yeah, I mean, it's actually genuinely hard to evaluate Norris on that scale because he was so far ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, it's hard to get a true read as to where the McLaren baseline was. And then, don't get me wrong, they started the year dreadfully as well. I mean, damn. They they had as bad a preseason this year. I mean, their brakes were just melting. Um, the brakes were you bad. Know, you know, they Ricardo were the only car. COVID. They were the only car that wasn't porpoising in Barcelona. We thought, oh, we, have they figured something else out. As it turns out, the car wasn't making enough downforce to porpoise. Yeah. Um. Unserious. The brakes were awful. They had arguably the biggest rate of development out of anyone as far as new parts and major redevelopments. But on pace, they never looked anything better than the fifth best team. Yeah, it's like, and they lost out to Alpine in the development race in the end. Like, it's it's just... I mean, Alpine should have run them the hell over, even yeah. with Ricardo. Uh, we'll get to them in a little bit. They should have run them the hell over were it not for, even if Daniel Ricardo had been up to Norris's level. Um, they just, they just weren't that fast. No, and... Like I said, Norris more than held up his end of the deal. Ricardo was an anchor. Um, hmm. They lost out in the race to Alpine, and McLaren just ended up sort of in no man's land. Like Norris did his part, where he would often finish seventh. He finished seventh or better thirteen times last season. Um, he did. He he did. He got the best out of that car pretty much week in week out. They didn't have a better second car. And then there's the management side of it, because Zach Brown is a strange, strange cat. Like, I don't know how much of it had an effect on the team, that Zach Brown was actively shopping his second seat and using his IndyCar drivers for basically leverage. And I know this... it wasn't I know it wasn't affecting Daniel Ricardo in a positive light because they were no basically way. they were basically looking for other boyfriends. In front of his face, and this was not no damn open relationship. No, it wasn't. Like, Daniel Ricciardo got back to the apartment one night, turned the lights on, and there was uh, Zach Brown in bed with Alex Polo and Oscar Piastri at the same time. Um, as much as then, I hate to say it, though, shit might work. Piastri is that is graded that high of a prospect, and if he, if he can at least break a little bit more even with Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo did... Son of a bitch, it might just be worth it because the floor is still fifth place. Well, the problem is that the floor is fifth place, but now with McLaren, it feels like the ceiling is fifth place as well. That's I the mean, problem. They're kind of... We, we know what McLaren is at this point. Like They're treading water until they can get that new wind tunnel open within the next couple of years. Until then, I can't see them making any inroads... It's going to be harder for them to make a more competitive car than it is going to be for Alpine to make a more reliable power unit. Fingers crossed. Right. You know, uh, because as far as just points left on the table, Alpine left a lot of points on the table as we're going to get into. Yeah. Should we get and into that now? And yeah, let's still, do it. They still beat McLaren head to head. Yeah, Alpine, the other team in the upper middle class, they were fourth. Their, God, that's their best F1 season in a while, actually. Alpine, fourth at 173 points. Fernando Alonso, 81 points, ninth overall, 14 top 10 finishes, 
18 times in Q3. Genuinely impressive work. Three five place, three fifth place finishes as well on the year for his bit. That was his best result. Esteban Ocon beat him slightly on points, eighth on 92 points. 16 top 10s, 11 Q3 appearances, fourth in Japan, that fantastic fight he had with Lewis Hamilton, which he came out on top of uh, there to finish fourth. That was Alpine's best result of the year. Head-to-head wise in qualifying, Alonso won 12-9 on qualifying. They drew on race head-to-heads eight each, uh, but on laps ahead, Alonso won 640-463. And, well, it's hard with Alpine because on the one hand, you got to praise them. They did improve this year. There is no argument about that. They were a comfortable fourth best, overall. Uh, best season for Team Enstone since 2018. We're again uh, fourth place. Yeah, big improvement. Um, there's no getting around that. They are the clear fourth best team in the sport right now. The 14 <laughs> points to McLaren is flattering. But if for no other reason than, I mean, Cam... How many points did these guys leave on the table due to sheer reliability? At way least too, 50. Way too goddamn many. Way, way too many. Let's uh, break let's this see. down. Alonso, uh, bro- retired at Jeddah, retired at Monza, retired at Singapore, retired at Mexico City, and Yas Marina. Uh, you could also add an Imola because Schumacher spun in his car has damaged it. Alonso had a DNS at Austria to do technical problems, and he suffered a hydraulic problem in qualifying in Melbourne. To Ocon's credit, he broke down at Silverstone. He broke down in Singapore. A little bit better record, but still not great. <laughs> I that's mean, a, that's at that, least 50 points. Minimum. At least, at least 50. I mean, shit, in Australia, right? We were thinking Alonso was a threat for pole at one point. He had a purple sector. He was only a tenth off the top through two sectors. He was he was set for a front row start. He was set for the front row, and the engine just decided, ah, nope. With this. Uh, they were taking engine penalties in Catalonia. That's rough. You know what's and sick? then scored points. You know what's you know, sick is that this might be worth it in the long run because can't you spend oh, tokens yeah, you can. on reliability rather you can than do whatever you want as long as it's for reliability. This was the right call for that. This was their first. <laughs> this is Renault's first all new power unit in the turbo hybrid era. They went to the split turbo like <laughs> like what Honda and Mercedes run, and it was fast. I mean, shit. When's the last time a, a Renault-powered car topped the time, sh- topped the, the speed trap sheet? Yeah, the, uh, we we joked about it all year. This Alpine could pull. Um, this thing could pull like a tri- the only car that this could not pull on was the Red Bull, and that's for very good reason. In fact, throughout the year, it looked more and more like the Red Bull, and it was better for it. Yeah, I mean, it's... they were uh, on raw pace, far and away the fourth best team. On raw pace, they were troubling Mercedes early on. I can't believe I'm about to admit this in front of RJ O'Connell. Do it. Fernando Alonso is still really, really good at this. Exceptional. Exceptional. Fantastic season. Fantastic season from Fernando. (coughs) Seriously, man, still got it. I can't. I, I, I am the prime Fernando hater of this podcast. Man can still fucking drive. Like he's forty-one years old, and he's like I had him sixth in my top ten list for the year, and and I couldn't argue with it. He he deserved to be there. Like it's it's he was he was superb. 
He should have had it's, over a hundred points easily. It's all part of our plan, baby. But I will, I will, I will be the one that gives you the free ammunition to uh, to get back into that Lonzo hater mindset. Him and Esteban Ocon's relationship, especially once Alonzo announced that he was going to Aston Martin, it deteriorated quick at the end of the season. Soured. Oh, can we also talk about the fact that he's going to Aston Martin, an operational train wreck with a significantly worse car? Wait, hey, do you like that funny thing where Fernando Alonso leaves one seemingly bad situation where he has no upward mobility just to go to a worse situation? <laughs> I've heard this song before. Uh, <laughs> I mean... But again, we get back to the fact that this is, you know, we forget this is a factory team. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a factory team with a factory budget and are going to be going into 2023 with a phenomenal driver lineup of Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. We know what these dudes can do. Yeah. Great drivers. We know the power unit, if nothing else, is powerful. It's fast. There's no doubt about it. Can the team at Endstone produce a chassis that can harness this power unit? And can the power unit team, well, can they stop producing hand grenades? If they can do that, they might actually take some chunks out of the big, big six. That should be the aim. Like, I'm not saying they should beat them next year, but... <laughs> you have you sh- have to be hanging on to their coattails. You, you need to be thinking 250 points next year. Mm. Yeah. I'll go oh, one shit. better. They shit, be, they, they should have got 250 points this year. Right. I'll do one better. They should be contending for a race win next season. This was year seven. Renault purchased this team back from uh, from Lotus the third in 2016 and declared this <laughs> the start of a five-year plan. This is that's the start of a five-year plan that began in 2016, which means we are in year seven of a five-year plan. You can hmm. interpret that how you want. You can uh, take the, the COVID years into consideration how you wish to interpret that. But this is a good year, but they really got to bridge that gap. Esteban Ocon winning at Hungary in the rain was so much fun. Can they do it in a dry race? Remember uh, remember the Canadian Grand Prix where Alonso said he was going to be as much of a nuisance since turn one was possible? So he just got blown off before they even got to turn one? So yeah, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that race as well. Fighting for a podium right up until the point where, you know, the power unit started dying and he ended up ninth. Yeah, the the target no the, the target yeah. yeah the target is clear. Uh, podium finishes like you need to be thinking about at least a couple of podiums next year. And, and you the... no longer have the horsepower deficit to excuse your chassis. Right, you right. Have a reliability <laughs> deficit, but you know, take one or the other. I think of my Ocon and Gasly are going to go along fine. By the way, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. I'll also I... say. uh Fantastic looking car as well. Maybe my favorite on the grid this year. Yeah, it was, you know, it was I'm a, a sucker for blue. You know I'm a sucker for blue and pink cars. Unintentional trans rights, baby. We love it on this show. Let's <laughs> yes, let's sir. get to the elites. Let's get to the large appendaged uh, half dozen. Let's mm-hmm. get to our upper class. And wait a minute, Mercedes, hey, hang on. Mercedes shouldn't be here. Hang on, hang on. There's a tweet I go. Need, I need to go find. Oh. <laughs> well you go find that tweet uh can we go through mercedes numbers because this is shocking oh yeah this 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 is actually quite low key for mercedes they were third 515 points as a team lewis hamilton sixth <laughs> sixth in the championship his lowest ever world championship finish 
240 points, nine podiums, two fastest laps, 46 laps led over the season. He finished second five times this year. Um, but yes, if you have if you've been keeping score at home, it's the first time in Lewis's 16-year career mm. that he's gone winless and poleless in an F1 season. Ever. Mm. Whoa. The it's a it's a remarkable stat that uh yeah, this was by all accounts, by all stats, the weakest season of Hamilton's career. No question. George Russell, on the other hand, first year in the big leagues, fourth overall, 275 points, eight podiums, four fastest laps, 100 laps led over the season, pole position, the sprint win, and the win itself in Brazil, all in the same weekend. Well, you know, the, the pole was in Hungary, my bad. But yes, the sprint win and the race win, all in Brazil, Interesting. Qualifying head-to-head. Hamilton won 13-9. In races, Russell won 11-9. Um, laps ahead, 602 to 590 to George Russell. Very, very close running numbers here overall. Um, Cam, did you find the tweet in question? Uh, something about uh, not needing a wind tunnel to see that. Yeah, sidepods, you know, lack of them, performance advantage, locked in for years. I mean... Well, look, they, uh... We heard a lot last year about how much Mercedes was basically just sacrificed second half of 2020 and nearly all of 2021 to get a head start on these regulations. Mm. That Mercedes was months ahead of the competition, that their car would rewrite the books uh, on all of their domination stats. And they tried a moonshot. Moonshots have this funny tendency to not work out. Let's cut to the chase. This was a catastrophic disaster for Mercedes. It cost them their it cost them their entire season. For any other team we just spoke about, this would be one of the greatest seasons they have had ever. For yeah. for Mercedes, it is Tuesday. a crushing disappointment. Yeah, they uh, they tried <coughs> a lot of really clever shit, but the problem is you don't know whether it actually works until you put it out on track, and that car in preseason was horrendous. A dog. It was it was a dog with the mere exception of a couple late season races. By Mercedes standards, it was a dog all year. Uh, actually, on average pace, they actually got further away across the year. Not that you'd know it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> when you go down that far of a road, when you're that far ahead in development, it can be a pretty hard to get back. And it just did not work. I'll give Mercedes this. They were probably the best developing team of the season. They got a lot better as the year went by overall. But they but were... There's a reason for that, though. But they were digging out of such a massive hole in the first place that how much credit do you really want to give them for that when we know what this team is capable of? We don't well, evaluate. <coughs> the thing is, Dre, is that... Uh, yeah. They they brought their last major upgrade and it was major. I mean they they did significant redesigns under that car at least three times during the season. Mm. 
Red Bull basically didn't bring any new parts beyond the odd tweak after Belgium. Right. So, you know, comparing Mexico, where they finally got their uh, their now legalized front wing uh, on the car. And there's extra months of development on there. And at least in the final race of the year, any optimism they got out of Brazil was immediately crashed back down to earth. It was like it's it's for for Merck's. It's it was a shambolic year. They lost their constructors' crown. They were a distant third in the end. I mean, yeah, they got a little bit closer to Ferrari down. The road, but we'll get to the reason why they were even given Ferrari something to think about over the course of the year. But we don't evaluate Mercedes in the context of podium finishes. We evaluate them in the context of polls, wins, and championships. And this was we evaluate a them. You know why? How we evaluate Mercedes based on the last couple of years is: are they? Go, is this the year they go perfect on the season? Right. Bookies were taking that bet many a time in the hybrid era about how they had to be like. Well, I got thirty-three to one odds in twenty nineteen. They were going to run the table on the whole season. Not For a long a while. Shot. It felt like it. You know, it's and that's, I mean, and, that's and how it we evaluate the same vibe. It was the same vibe when the real W13 emerged uh, at the Bahrain test with the side pods cut off. And this incredibly, you know, this incredibly shaped, well-packaged, aggressive car. Mm. And it just did not work in real life. Um, Uh, I mean, there was a point. uh, To quote the quip hop artist D4L, it go boing, ba-ba-boing, ba-boing, ba-boing. It go boing, ba-ba-boing, boing, sucky, sucky, sucky. Yeah, um. and and as much as we're joking about it, the side pods are really not the reason why that car was dog water. But <laughs> it, it's hard for me to look at them and call this season anything other than an unmitigated disaster. Other than the fact that yeah, George Russell's the real deal. That's the one bright spot. I mean, let's look at the drivers for a minute here. And first and foremost, I mean, behind the scenes, note, I had a really hard time evaluating which Merck's driver to put third and which one to put fourth in my top 10 of the year list. And I gave Hamilton the very slight edge because it was pretty clear he was prepared to sacrifice any chance of winning the title to try and get this team. Noted Lewis Hamilton hater, Andre Harrison. Depending on, <laughs> de- depending on who you ask. Yeah, yeah, Lewis was running, and both of them were to an extent, but Lewis certainly more on the extreme side. Uh, Lewis was running just goofy, out-of-left-field setups to try and find this car's setup window because, well, it was about a pixel wide on an 8K 55-inch screen. Yeah. Um. And when fair enough, when they could find the setup window, it was okay. But I mean, I, I think it could sum up their whole season when development, the development race on the cars was somewhat equal in Belgium, Max driving by Russell, like Russell's engine had exploded down the camel. Yeah. I, it was like, it was like. 25 plus miles per hour of closing we've, speed. We've gone a long way from the days where Cynics just said, all you need to do is have a Mercedes hyperpowered unit and you win. 
Yeah, look, let's make it this way. I even remember going back to Baku and seeing Hamilton finish that race in fourth, but then he couldn't get out of his car because of the amount of back pain he was in. And it turns out that was political strong-arming from Mercedes against the FIA, who told them, oh, yeah, by the way, we think you're going to have these porpoising problems. Do you, do you? Should we put in a minimum hide right for you guys? No, we're good. Boing, 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 boing. Um, yeah, Mer yeah, Mercedes, and they. to be fair to them, they were not the only ones. No. They played a lot of stupid games. And uh, as it ended up turning out, what Mercedes inadvertently begged the FIA for was a technical directive, which ended up doing basically nothing. Yeah. If, if anything, it just cemented how good Red Bull was because Ferrari got worse after the update. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. The uh, flexi floor stop, and oh, oh, Max, Max just came from fourteenth to yeah. win by eighteen seconds, etc. Yeah, the, like as as Cam alluded to, the one thing I want to mention before we move on as well, George Russell. I I will say it one more time on this show. I was wrong on George Russell. Okay, Harrison was wrong. There was a reason why it was at least worth having the conversation about moving this dude up. I was wrong. This dude is the real fucking deal. I, I, I got to give George's cue. By any measure, by any major stat in the book, George was was on Hamilton's level. That is the one shining positive you've got in Mercedes to, to come from this terrible season. Is that you've got a second Hamilton. Which, I do not say that by any exaggeration. You look at any key stat. Yes, he lost it 13-9 in qualifying. The average was point zero three. It's one of the closest on the entire field. The, the laps closest. ahead are basically a breaking even at this point. Like, yeah, the laps yeah, ahead are identical. George Russell, George Russell had uh, a handful of, of clumsiness. He's still a young driver. Sure. He still has room to develop it. Like, he was good. And in a sick way... Maybe the fact that Mercedes took this big step backward was a gift for him to take the pressure off in his first year of Mercedes. This will not last if this team is back in title contention. But, no, not at all. But Merckx can probably say they're the best driver lineup in the field now. And Certainly on overall quality. And I mean, looking at Russell kind of... Um, I mean, looking at it, even if you equal out things based on, you know, Hamilton running those extreme setups, he's to try and find the car setup window. It's still easily closer than any year Bottas had in that car. Easy, easily. Uh, best case scenario, you've got you've got Hamilton too, and that is not a bad situation to be in at all. How we we don't know what Hamilton's future is going to entail. He he talks like a man who's going to stick around for a little bit longer. We don't know for sure. Whatever happens, Mercedes are in absolutely fine hands with George Russell whenever Hamilton decides to hang it up. There is no doubt about that in my mind. Um, George Russell, I was wrong. Man can fucking drive. Fair play to him. That was a really, really impressive season by George Russell, by all accounts. Do it again. Yeah, do it again. Hey, Cam, we, once we, more with uh, soul. Hey, we love we love leaving that note of of optimism for Mercedes' future. And, so let's and, immediately and one more thing. Down. Well, before yeah, we go, before we move on, before we move on, before we move on, okay? Because this does tie into our next team. One thing Mercedes can also take solace in is that they, unlike the next team who did the opposite, 
they took a by their standards very poor car and they absolutely maximized pretty much everything that was on the table. Uh, operationally still pretty damn sharp. Not perfect, but sharp. Mm. Now let's bring the mood down. (laughs) (laughs) Or up, depending on who you ask. Scuderia Ferrari. Championship runners-up. 554 points. Charles Leclerc. Championship runner-up. 308 points. 11 podiums. Three fastest laps. 311 laps led. Nine pole positions, won the pole trophy, and three wins. Carlos Sainz Jr., fifth, 246 points, nine podiums, two fastest laps, 72 laps led, three pole positions. He made it to Q3 all 22 rounds. Good work. He won the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Is anyone else is anyone else losing the irony that they finished on the points totals of two Ferrari models? Ah, how about uh, that? that's clever. No, uh, Ferrari International Assistance at work again. SMH. SMH. Qualifying head to heads. Leclerc was thirteen nine up in qualifying. Actually, they drew seven seven in races. How about that? Laps ahead, five hundred and seventy five to three eighty three in Leclerc's favor. Now, all those stats don't sound too bad in theory. Actually, one of them does, and I'm now realizing it as well. Go on. How many rounds did we have this year? 22. Oh, man. That 7-7 seven to seven draw means they only had both drivers finish 14 times. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that opens things up for us. Um, I'm going to say something bold here. I've been an F1 fan for 20 years. Plus, at this point, in my 30 years of life, I have never, ever seen a top team in F1 have a season as badly mismanaged as this one. Ever. Now, we need to lay this out. We need to lay this out that we are about to talk about a team uh, that has that, that almost doubled their points total from last year and won more races than they have in a season since 2018. Here's the problem, RJ. Which team is this? Well, the same McLaren or Will- the same the same McLaren or Williams. This is not a fallen giant. This is not a plucky underdog like an Alfatari or a Haas or a Sauber. It's Scuderia Ferrari. It's Scuderia Ferrari. The faces of the sport. Uh, they used to be, or certainly should be. Uh, they used to be. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be fifteen years since Red Car Fast was a thing was the defining thing in Formula One. Um, Oh, I actually don't know where to start unpacking this because it starts off pretty early. Ferrari looked phenomenal in preseason testing. Lots of porpoising, but lots of speed. Lots of talk about how their engine was the best in the sport. Installed into a gorgeous car that could tear through corners, light up its tires quickly and manage them well enough. And it started pretty perfectly as well. A 1-2 with pole and fastest lap for Charles. Carlos following him home. And a Red Bull double DNF. Well, that started off well. They grand grand slammed Australia. Dude, that red lean was strong. That that red red lean was was strong after three races. And yet... (coughs) And yet... 
Oh God. This was an unmitigated. <laughs> there's, so there's so many retirements on this sheet. Yeah, I mean, where do we start here? I mean, they were taking engine penalties in Canada. Taking engine penalties in Canada. Charles Leclerc lost two wins purely off engine blow-ups in Spain and Baku. Yeah. From the lead. Yep. Where, uh, where yeah. Where he was comfortably leading. Comfortably leading in Spain on an alternate strategy that was looking solid enough. Reasonable. Baku. Yeah. Second at worst, I would say. Um, You know, he was also leading at Monaco for a while. Yeah. Uh, he was leading at Monaco up until the point where uh, Ferrari climbed over that gate, dreamed the impossible dream, and gave away a 1-2 on a track which suited their car more than anything else at Monaco. Turned the 1-2 into a 2-4 and gift-wrapped gift wrapped Sergio Perez a win. Pushed him hard, but Perez came through in the end. My God. Britain. Uh, Good lord. That's the funniest thing because they won that race, but yet all we could talk in about spite was how of, much they... In spite of themselves. <laughs> they tried. They, they won that race despite moving heaven and earth to not do so. They gave they gave they gave Mercedes a huge vat of copium with Hamilton being in range purely because Ferrari refused to move Carlos Sainz out of the way. Let's just uh, let's just roll through this right now, because <coughs> I got the result sheet up. Um, one two in Bahrain, dominant. Two three, and honestly, could have won Saudi Arabia. Just got outdueled in the final lap yeah, by close, Max. Close run thing. Uh, dominant, crushing win for Charles in Australia. Grand slam. Uh, Carlos crashed out. Uh, what was it? The first lap. Yeah. After Second a disastrous lap. qualifying. Yep. And then the haunts begins to uh, creep in. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Imola. Tire issues. Tire Leclerc, issues. Leclerc spins. Leclerc spins, pushing too hard, trying to catch Sergio. And Carlos Sainz cra gets crashed out after Take. an abysmal qualifying, a yep. solid sprint, and an awful first lap. Thanks, Daniel Ricardo. You're the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami outgunned, but maximized what was on the table. Lost a close one. <coughs> oh, Spain explosion from the lead. Carlos uh, oh. spun and damaged his floor. Finished fourth. Monaco. We already talked about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, Baku. The day of Ferrari's reckoning. The red wedding. Um, what was that? Five Ferrari mechanical failures? Yeah. Both works cars, one of the Alphas, both Haas's. Yep. Hilarious. Canada, engine penalty. Uh, signs lost a close one. And Signs had the pace, but didn't have the track position. Nope. Great Britain, we talked about it. They won, but all we could do was laugh. Yep. I think you could sum up their whole season in Austria. Ugh. They had the best tire wear for once. They actually got the strategy together for once. They won the race, and yet all we could talk about was them almost losing the race because Leclerc had a throttle failure. That meant that his throttle was sticking basically every other corner. 
Mm-hmm. And Carlos Sainz's engine, well... Exploded. Quite literally exploded. One of the greatest photos of the year, Char- uh, Carlos Sainz walking away from his burning car in the distance. Oh, a beauty. And then Dragon Ball Z character losing a bean clash and being evaporated in France. Charles Leclerc's no hurled around the world as he crashed out of the lead. He did it his way. (laughs) And then Hungary happened. And we thought, okay, well, this track suits them. Red Bull's down in the dumps. Power unit issue for Verstappen. And then they bolted on the hard tires. Dead. Dead in the water. Max heard over the radio that he put on hards, spun around to take a look, and then drove back around him again. And still won. <laughs> it just didn't matter. <laughs> he's, still, he's, 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 he's still won by 10 seconds. I mean... Everything beyond that point, Ferrari basically just didn't have the... They they didn't have the pace to really fight with Red Bull once that once Belgium hit. Singapore was the only round they were close. And even then even then had Max not made an ass of himself in the race, it probably wouldn't have mattered anyway. Matteo Bonotto and they, and they before, butchered their tires. Matteo Bonotto before the summer break said that they had a chance to run the table for the last ten rounds. Ferrari they went winless. Ferrari went winless and Red Bull won nine out of the final ten. A joke. On in ev- and it cost Bonotto his job. And rightly so. The all these people out here that are saying that Bonotto, you know, deserved another year. Or that, you for know what? For you know, like you people do realize Bonotto took over this team in 2019 when the team had the second best car in the field, and we're now trying to have mercy on him for getting the car back to the second best car in the field. This is not good enough. Like, Bonotto was in charge of an engine cover-up that brought the sport into disrepute in 2020. The team sink into genuine midfielders and now a year where they should have at least given Red Bull something to think about over the course of the year, and ending up, scoreboard says, 205 points behind Red Bull. Embarrassing. They had a 46-point lead coming out of Australia. Uh, It's a 250-point swing in 19 rounds. That's embarrassing. It's almost incomprehensible. I mean, never, fair I mean, enough, right? They yeah. weren't going to win this championship. Even if they maximized all the points on the table, they probably weren't going to win the championships, uh, given the state of the car after Belgium. Because they, between turning the power units on, they were just butchering their front tires. They, this car could not keep its tires alive to save its life. An ongoing thing for Ferrari ever since, what, 2018? Late 2018, they've had tire wear issues. But... It should not have been the walkover. The uh, the RB18, we'll get to in a little bit, will go down as one of the most dominant F1 cars of modern times. Mm-hmm. It certainly didn't look it in the first half of the year. Ferrari just kept hurling points into the furnace. Massively. 
And that will be the story of this season. It won't be so much about how Red Bull dominated. It's about how Ferrari lost at least a shot. They've had seasons where they had the second best car and they couldn't challenge, but at least you could say they left it all on the table and they gave it a damn good go. 2017 you know? and 18 were seasons that that were very much along those lines of, you know, you probably didn't have the, the chutzpah to win, but you certainly had opportunities and you maximized what you had on the table. Fine. No one's going to kill you for seasons like that. You, if you gave it an honest attempt and you were good enough, you'd be fine. Not this. Say, Seb, Seb in 2017, suffering reliability problems, having a car that on its best days was the best, but on its worst days just wasn't, it just couldn't hold up to the Mercedes. Nope. He came miles closer than Charles this year. And I'm not going to put that on Charles. No, if anything, Charles Leclerc had another stellar season. He got back in the win column, at least, which is good. Um, Leclerc I think this is season not the problem. That, yeah, Leclerc is not the problem, just like in 2017 and 18, Sebastian Vettel was not the problem. Just like many years ago, Fernando Alonso was not the problem. Just like many years ago, Kimi Räikkönen and Felipe Massa were not the problems. I don't fault for Natalia Bonato for wanting to change the culture and away from total blame culture, but he overcorrected, and now nobody has any any accountability. Well, it, I'm not even going to go to that effect. I just think this team is rotten from top to bottom. Yeah, like that. The way Ferrari works does not work in modern F1. It just doesn't work. No. Not and not only has it not worked, you know, I think Natalia Bonato personally. Did a pretty crap job, all things considered. And you know, it doesn't matter who's going to replace him. It does not matter. They could replace him with the best team principal in the sport. Take your pick of whoever you think that is. It's not going to matter. Ferrari only cured the symptom rather than the illness. The symptom was rough. The, symptom the was illness really, really is rough. Ferrari, though. <laughs> they are born losers. Ferrari do one thing better than <laughs> anyone else, and it's lose. And then look for reasons why they're losing, change them around, and then keep losing. Reminder, it's been 14 years since they won a major championship. 14. That's and a it's losing not like culture. they haven't been capable. That's a losing culture. And they've had opportunities to win. And they've struck out ev every... Alonso and Sebastian Vettel were in the fights for those titles in spite of the team they were driving for. Not because of it. Yep. The the postmortem is ugly. And uh one more time for Ferrari, may their woes be many and their days few. The drivers are not the problem. They both <clears throat> did very well. They're both evenly matched. Charles Leclerc is a Charles Leclerc is a fucking phenomenal racing driver. He deserves better. It's that simple. <laughs> as far God as I'm concerned. Right. Charles Leclerc is fucking good. He's fucking brilliant. I will actually go out as far as to say. Yeah, Man deserves Carlos, Carlos said, I mean, first half of the year looks probably better on results. Second half of the year on pace, Solid. very close to Charles. Solid. Like, science has given me a bit of hope. And I was worried about him, but I think he's <clears throat> he's got more in him. And I hope I hope he has something that can give him a chance. Let's Do talk go. about let's talk about Red Bull. We have to talk about Red Bull. Victory the, lap time. The the season champions, 759 points, a single season all-time record. Max Verstappen was champion for 454 points. Again, 
a new all-time single season record. 17 podiums, amazingly, one less than he had last year. Five fastest laps, 615 laps led, seven pole positions, two sprint wins, and a new single season record, 15 race wins on the year. 15! Second most ever in terms of win percentage in a single year. Sergio Perez was third on 305 points, 11 podiums, three fastest laps, 148 laps led, one pole position in Saudi Arabia. He won the Monaco and Singapore Grand Prix. Head-to-heads, Verstappen 18-4 in qualifying in races, 15 for Verstappen. Laps ahead, 874 to 287 in Verstappen's favor. As mentioned, three all-time single-season records from Red Bull. Let's cut to the chase. By any measure, one of the greatest single seasons we've ever seen. In the scientific sense, an unholy clobbering. Yeah. This, like, they, they could have had an 800-point season. They had a dreadful start with the fuel leak issues they had. But even so, it doesn't matter. They just completely curb stomped the field. I mean, there was a little streak going on where Verstappen either DNF'd or won. Yeah. Um, and it, as Dre said, it didn't start off perfectly. Double DNF to start the year. Car burst into flames in Australia while running second. Yeah, big hydraulic failure with off the fuel leak, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of the fuel lines came off the motor. Uh, unideal mm. in a Formula One car. Not good. Uh, other than that, there's a lot of gold, silver, and bronze on this sheet. More gold than anything else. Um, Red Bull's best season ever. 17 <laughs> wins as a team this year. Uh, yeah, they just, they rewrote the book on ass whoopings. Yeah. Uh, and for all the talk of how Red Bull was sacrificing this year to uh, focus on 2021. Funny how that worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and we got to talk about Max. Sweet damn. Um, t- two years ago, the man had 10 F1 wins. He now has 35. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He won. He won more races in the last two years than Ferrari has in the last ten. He's he's won twenty five Grand Prix in the last two seasons. It's ridiculous. Nearly half. We talked he's, about the theory that he's, he's getting speed, back. He's speed running the Hamilton career curve. Yeah, we were talking about how last year was him getting back pay for all the years where he struggled through all the years where like his ceiling is ah uh, two or three. He's cashing in that interest. Yeah, he's getting back pay with interest, son. Oh my god! And this, this is up there with Vettel's twenty eleven and thirteen. It's up there with Hamilton's twenty twenty. It's up there with Schumacher's two thousand two, two thousand four seasons. This was one of the greatest single seasons I have ever seen from a driver. He was inevitable. He was the oncoming storm. If there is any question at the back of last year, the best racing driver on the planet is right now, it's Max Emilian Verstappen. He was the unstoppable force to which there was no immovable objects. There was a point where we had a genuine fear that he was going to not only beat Vettel's consecutive win record, he was going to annihilate it. 
Now that didn't happen thanks to uh Thanks Singapore. Thanks, Singapore. <laughs> we owe you. Um Battle Land coming through. <laughs> and even then, uh more one of his very few driver errors on the year that cost him again. Like he was having an awful race and he still legitimately could have won were it not for that, you know, overly audacious uh overtake attempt on Lando. Uh I mean, you just maximize pretty much everything that's on the table. Pun not intended. I'm sorry. Um, going through the entire result sheet, the only weekends where you could really say, yeah, there's probably more on the table he could have taken. Singapore, just talked about it. Mm. And Brazil, where, frankly, was just kind of driving like a dickhead with the car out of its setup window. Right. That's really it. So there were 20 top opportunities out of 22 where you could say Max Verstappen had a legitimate chance to win and go win going away. Yeah. Like the, the two races that he retired out of, he was running comfortable second, was going to finish second. Yeah. That's 36 more points. Yeah. Five, 500 wasn't off the table here. Good God. 500 points. I know seasons are bigger now. I know it's 22 rounds and we had sprints, but a 500-point season. Yeah, I mean, he... Could you it imagine? Only ended, it only ended in Brazil the opportunity where he was going to have the highest win percentage ever. It's, it's terrifying. It is... He's now... There's only... I want to say what four men in history that have more wins in F1 than he does. Senna, Prost, Schumacher, Vettel, Vettel and Hamilton. Hamilton. There's five. Yeah. Five human beings. That's that's it. He already Look. effectively has Fernando Alonso's career plus some. Yeah. He's 25. He's already he's already hinted that me he's already hinted that he might walk away from the sport content with whatever records he achieves. At, at, after the 2028 season, he wants to go oh. take part in the real po- pinnacle of motorsport, the Palanga 1006 in his 30s. The boy. If he walks away at 2028, that means he'll be walking away at 31 years of age. And who knows how many more accolades he still has to rack up in that time, if that is indeed where he decides to walk away. This Look. is. Th- there are some holes here. Like, the first one is Checo. Checo was. He was better than he was in 21. Definitely. In the first few races, legitimately giving Max a hard time. uh, But that was pretty much a product of the car having all of its weight in the wrong place. So it just understeered like a pig. Mm -hmm. But once they cut the weight off of that car. Yeah. My God, what a masterpiece. One of the best F1 cars ever. Uh, Pull it in a straight line. Uh, Well done, Honda. You you sold all of your credit for this engine to Red Bull only to come crawling back for some small stickers in Japan. You idiots. And we'll do it again. What is wrong with this company? Ah, um, the car was just the ultimate Swiss army knife. Any strategy they needed to run, the car could run to it. The only thing this car really couldn't do was qualify, and that's only because the Ferrari was especially good at qualifying. Mm. Damn with faint praise, huh? And they still had eight pole positions on the year. Eight. Yeah, because in the second half, Red Bull was just (sighs) unstoppable. 
I, I do have a couple of concerns. Again, how Checo is is in Verstappen's world is going to be interesting. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, ugh, you know, the 2021 title fight definitely battle hardened them, but of course there will be the wind tunnel discussion. They are going to be on there now under cost cap penalty. That so, is, that I think is going to be a really interesting one, and and for this reason, in that. All three teams, uh, the the big dick six, as we refer to them, mm. rolled up with cars that are basically nothing alike. Uh, you could not get three more different cars to head this field. What I think is going to be very interesting for them is they're cut down to what is it, sixty three percent of their uh, of the uh, the one hundred percent. Yeah, the baseline. Time. Yeah, after penalties are factored in. After penalties are factored in. It's really going to depend on how mature their concept is for to see where that's going to affect them. Because if they're still finding big chunks of time out of, you know, big geometry changes, I don't think it's going to affect them very much. Because you don't need to devote a lot of uh, a lot of wind tunnel time to something like that. Mm. And to that effect, Red Bull basically stopped developing this car after Belgium. There were no new parts on this car of note. Right. After that, they had such a huge advantage, development-wise and car-wise, from a baseline standpoint, that it might not matter. You know, yeah. who, who needs catering? Huh? Um, yeah, you know. cut down on the sandwiches. But with that in mind, if you're Red Bull and you're smart, and we know Red Bull knows how to develop a solid chassis, they always have. They will have been working on whatever the RB19 is since before Belgium, and they've been would have been full steam ahead. Since Belgium. Yeah. Teams like Mercedes developed all the way into the season. Did it with teams like McLaren, um, Alpha as well. I'm expecting them to go into next season even stronger than they finished this season. Hmm. Oh, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I can't disagree. If, if they... If they decline during 2023, so be it. I'm not going to bet on I that. I think they will. They definitely will, I think, later on. It's going to be a question of how far they can get out ahead of that penalty before it starts to impact them. And what will also help them is that 2021 title fight, that that heavyweight bout with Mercedes, honed that pit wall into an absolute wrecking machine operation. I'll admit, I didn't think they had it in them anymore. They had the best run team in Formula One this year. Their strategies were largely on point. They pushed the other teams around to bend to their will. And we don't give them a lot of shout outs on this show, and we should more often. Shout out to Hannah Schmitz, who did an absolutely fantastic job as their lead strategist this season. And a wonderful ambassador for women in motorsport that she was a key role in a team doubling up this year. So salute to Hannah Schmitz. Fantastic Hell work yeah. at Red Bull Racing. Um, you know, Ferrari. You want to hire someone new? Go try and pick up her. Oh, she good. Uh, your strategy department is a shambles. Right, right. No kidding. Before we get out of here, any favorite moments or highlights you guys want to talk about? Let's make let's make it a nice round two hours on the day. I mean, for me. I think it's been a. I must admit, I think the new regulations. I think it was a pretty good season overall. We were lacking an overall title narrative, but I think we had half a dozen really solid races. 
the quality of racing improved. Not every race was a class, of course. I think there are some tracks that are just overtaking is always going to be at a premium in a, in a formula car. That's just the way it is. But overall, the quality of racing was better than it was in 2021. I think Bahrain was great. Saudi Arabia was great. Austria was great. Silverstone had the best final 10 laps of any F1 race I've seen in recent memory. Um, ah. Brazil was we, great. We could pass around Hungary. Yeah. <sighs> Circuit of the Americas? Yeah. Solid. Great. Yeah. We had a, we, I'd say we had five or six, seven or eight out of 10 races. Easy. No doubt about it. The new regulations have worked. They have made the cars easier to follow and easier to overtake. There'll be tweaks needed, of course, going forward, and I think the field will naturally bunch up a bit more. It's a law of diminishing returns sort of sport. But I especially think... with the uh, especially with the concession style arrow now. Yep, exactly. More concessions on wind tunnels and finances, of course, and resources. The the I think the skeleton of what we've got here is good, genuinely good. And, and 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 that is a big positive for the sport going forward. I don't agree with there being 24 races, well, 23 now, depending on whether China gets replaced or not. Zero COVID policy. A Grand Prix was never happening, folks. Um, nope. So China gone, probably Portimao to replace. We'll have to wait and see for official confirmation on that, by the way. Um, I'm not sure about 23 Grand Prix. I'm not sure about that. But... I also want to give a shout out to one of my favorite overtakes ever. Charles Leclerc at the outside of Lewis Hamilton at Cops at Silverstone on hard tires and a, and a damaged front wing. That boy can fucking wheel. My God. If nothing else, Charles Leclerc knows wheel. You were seeing the vision that I saw when he ran down everybody in that Formula 2 sprint in Bahrain in 2017. Oh, boy. That boy is special. Mm -mm. Mm. He's a very bad man. Give him, give him something to work with, please, Ferrari. Uh, I would have to go with... I'd have to go with three. If I, if I could... <sighs> That Hamilton overtake at Silverstone. Screaming, Crofty screaming his head off. That was just so fun. Oh, yeah. That, that is... I've, I've had my issues with David Croft over the years. He gets the big moments right. He always he does. I would go with that. I would go with Max hanging it around the outside of turn two with Suzuka around Charles on the opening lap. Just in the, in the pissing rain, I might add. Mm. And every lap that Max took in the RB18 around Belgium. Good God almighty. There is nothing like a Formula One car at the apex of its speed in the right hands, at the right track, at the absolute limit. Special. Very. And very, that was one weekend where you watched a car suited to a track as well as it possibly could be. Joy to watch. Anything from you, RJ, before we get out of here? Call me biased, and I know it's largely because I was I was there to see it in person, but Max Verstappen chasing down and passing Lewis Hamilton was at Circuit of the Americas. Great race. Such, such a thriller. Yeah, that was a great race. 
great race. Um, again, Kota Camper can deliver. How about it? I do have one final wish. Can we all be a little bit better on the internet when talking about this sport next year, please? That'd that be is, nice. uh, that's a little bit of a spoiler for one of my awards nominees. And uh, as a, mm. an honorable mention, everyone coming together to wish Sebastian Vettel a uh, happy farewell. Oh, God. That was... Uh, it was incredible. My God. Um, that was... Uh, that was that was almighty. That was... Uh, I would never think uh, we'd see the day where Sebastian Vettel would be the sport's great unifier. But uh, here we are. Uh, it's, it's quite a thing. It's been a, quite a trip. F1 in 2022 this season. It's been a hell of a ride. Of course, we, we'll be back to talk more F1 probably around February sort of time for testing and uh, car reviews and what have you. But, uh, of course, we'll be we'll be back in a little bit as well for the F1 Awards show, or the Motorsport 101 Awards show, the 7th Motorsport 101 Awards next week here on this channel. A uh, whole bunch of fun nominations and rides and whatnot. Uh, we'll get through that on next week's show. Places you can find us in the meantime, youtube.com, facebook.com, forward slash motorsport101, Twitter, motorsport underscore 101, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at C Buckley 917. Uh, we are on our website, motorsport101.com, of course, for more on that, including my top 10. If you want to see my thoughts on the driver's individual performances over the course of the year, you can check that out over on there and of course if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 we'll be back for the m101 awards until then sayonara later y'all advantage locked in for years <laughs> no